I'm Rebecca Wood. And I'm Ella Calora. And this, this is, is behind, behind the crime. crime. Why did you not say anything? I didn't know what came next. <laughs> All right. Um, so this is our Christmas episode. Yeah, it's our 17th episode, too. That's so weird. What's even weirder is that we're being silly and recording three episodes today. Yeah, so I feel like they're going to progressively get more silly. Our bad. Yeah. That's our bad. Um, Sorry, guys. But we are talking about a killer Santa today. Yeah. Should we just get into it? I guess. Uh, We're only covering one case in this episode, so we just split it up into Ella talking about Bruce MacArthur. That's the guy we're talking about. She's going to talk about his background, and then I'm going to talk about um, the murders he committed. Yeah. Let's get into it. Oh, okay. So, Thomas Donald Bruce MacArthur, or just Bruce MacArthur. Wow. (laughs) I know, such a long name. Was born October 8th, 1951 in Lindsay, Ontario. He grew up on a farm with his sister and his parents. His parents also fostered troubled children, and they would have six to ten kids in their care at a time. Oh, interesting. Which is a lot. That's a... I feel like... more than not counting their two kids like their actual two kids i'm pretty sure here like in the united states there's like a limit to the amount of kids that you can have in the house if you're fostering I have no but idea. obviously it could be different in canada yeah weird so macarthur attended a one-room schoolhouse and during his like middle school and elementary so during that time kids described him as like a teacher pet or like trying to be the teacher's pet so he would tell on the other boys and he was kind of just he wasn't accepted by a lot of the kids in the classroom he didn't have a lot of friends interesting so his mother was irish catholic and his father was scottish presbyterian and that would cause a lot of arguments in the household and really arthur would I don't know. I just feel like back then when you would marry someone of a different religion, like you'd just kind of like pick one. You know what I mean? Well, apparently they didn't. Or they maybe they tried to and it just didn't work out. But MacArthur would side with his mom most of the time um, because his dad was strict. So MacArthur would side with his mom a lot of the time because his dad was really strict. Mm -hmm. And around this time, MacArthur said that This is when he started to feel that his dad had sensed his homosexuality. Um, MacArthur did struggle with his sexual orientation um, around this time and for a lot of his life. Most of the struggle was that, like, at the time, it was abnormal in Ontario. Um, Well, really anywhere. Yeah, I mean, really anywhere. But so that was where a lot of the struggle came from. So then secondary school, he went to Felon Falls, and he met and began dating Janice Campbell. They both graduated in 1970, and MacArthur later graduated from a general business program and married Campbell at age 23. He began working for Eaton's, a department store, in 1973 in Toronto, and this was a few blocks away from a gay village that had started to form Mm -hmm. in the town. 
So in 1978, he left Eaton's and started working as a traveling salesman for McGregor Socks. I what a brand. I wanted to make sure I pronounced that right. Um, he later worked for Steinfield's Garment Company. Um, so he left the McGregor Socks and worked for Steinfield's Garment Company. Mm-hmm. And in the mid-1970s, his father developed a brain tumor and was sent to live in a nursing home. His mom became interested in another man, and MacArthur didn't like this. So he actually got, at this time, wound up getting closer with his dad. He would visit him, and he kind of, he got upset with his mom because she became interested in another man. His mom wound up dying of cancer in 1978, and his father died in 1981. Oh, that's interesting that she died first, considering he was the one who developed the brain tumor? Yeah. Sooner, or first. Mm -hmm. So then in 1979, he moved to Oshawa, that's how I'm going to pronounce it, that could be wrong, Um, with Campbell, his wife. And by 1981, they had a daughter, Melanie, and a son, Todd. And in 1986, they bought a home in or on Katerif Avenue. In So around this time, he became very active in the church. And he said... Which church? The Catholic? Pretty sure it was the Catholic church. Irish Catholic. Um, Silly guy. So he said that... The reason why he did this was to keep himself busy and to try and ignore his homosexual feelings that he was still having. Mm -hmm. Um, In the 1990s, he began having sexual affairs with men. And a year later, he came out to his wife. And after this, they tried to continue to live together, probably for their children's sake. Mm -hmm. Um, And also probably for their own like reputations, kind of, as well. Yeah, that too. I mean, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, so they tried to still live together, and then in 1993, he was fired from his job, and the family kind of went into a financial struggle. Mm-hmm. Now, part of the financial struggle was because he was fired and he was out of work for a little bit, but another part was his son, Todd, had a lot of legal issues around this time. He would make calls to women and he would basically like harass them oh so he was in and out of jail how old was he like teenage yeah he was a teenager um so they would have to bail him out a lot of the time so their money would go to that in 1997 they left their home because they couldn't pay for it anymore and then in Mm -hmm. 1999 they declared bankruptcy they separated in 1997 when they left their home And MacArthur moved to Toronto because at the time there was no gay community in Oshawa. So he moved to Toronto into an apartment and he started having what would be a four-year relationship with another man. Um, This was still during, this was still while the divorce was being finalized. So... At this time, he started seeing a psychiatrist, and he was prescribed Prozac. It's an antidepressant. 
Um, and also around this time, he was trying to become a landscaper and start his own business. So in 2001, um, this was October 31st, a few weeks after his 50th birthday, MacArthur was following actor-slash-model Mark Henderson to his apartment. He was invited to see Mark's costume. When they got there, he struck him over... Um, sorry. MacArthur struck mm. Henderson over the head with an iron pipe several times and knocked him out. When Mark woke up, he called... I feel like several times is unnecessary with an iron pipe. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously all of it's unnecessary, but I'm saying, like, excessive. Yeah. I don't want that to sound bad. He didn't kill him, though. Not that that matters, because he still assaulted him. But Mm -hmm. anyway, when Mark woke up, he called 911, and he did have to have stitches and therapy. MacArthur actually turned himself in and said that he didn't remember why he did it. He pled guilty in 2003 and was sentenced to... 729 days which is like two years in jail mm-hmm. MacArthur actually avoided jail he spent one year on house arrest six months with a curfew and three years on probation he wasn't allowed to do any drugs he wasn't allowed any like to buy any guns he was not allowed to interact with any male prostitutes And he had to have therapy. So. What I find interesting about that is that, like, a lot of the things that he wasn't allowed to do, like, you're not legally allowed to do anyway, like, drugs or solicit prostitutes. Like, Well, no drugs that weren't prescribed by a doctor. Well, yeah. If that helps. Well, it's still, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's still, like. Like, I guess they were just stricter, like, about observing it. But, it, you know what I mean? Like, just mm-hmm. hearing it, it's like, okay, well, he's not supposed to do that anyway, but whatever. Yeah, so at the time that his that he was given all of those rules, a retired homicide detective kind of voiced his concern mm-hmm. because you can't really keep track of that. Like, yeah. Like, how are they, if he's not in jail, they can't really keep track of that. But that was kind of just, like, let go and didn't really, no one really cared. I guess. So then in 2014, he was granted record suspension, which means that his records got expunged, meaning they wouldn't appear in any background checks. Great. Um, so that incident, m- he assault- assaulted Mark Henderson, wouldn't appear on any background checks. The only, so all the records were destroyed in compliance with the Toronto Police Service. The only documents left were the transcripts of the guilty plea, the sentence hearing, the psychiatric report, the pre-sentencing report um, that was ordered during the trial, and pictures of the victim's injuries and Mm -hmm. the weapon. So, in 2002, while the assault case was going before the courts, Arthur MacArthur, sorry, registered with Recon, which is a gay fetish dating website for men, into BDSM. If you don't Mm -hmm. know what BDSM is, look it up on your own time. I'm not going to explain it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to go there. So his profile noted his interest in submissive men, and he was also active on many other dating websites. 
websites. Now, I think it's important to point out what his profile said because mm-hmm. when Becky talks about what he did later, I think that will it'll tie it all together in a bow. So, in 2011, he told his acquaintance Robert James about the incident with Mark Henderson. Um, Robert James didn't like this, didn't want to be friends with him after he heard this, and he was they were at a coffee house, and he asked Henderson, sorry, not Henderson, he asked MacArthur to leave. MacArthur kind of snapped and started like in a rage knocking glasses off of the mm-hmm. table and he was screaming and it was just kind of a big blowout from MacArthur. So also around this time as I said he became a self-employed landscaper. His company was called Artistic Design and okay I know this isn't important but what kind of name is Artistic Design? That is like <laughs> the least creative name that you could come up with a company. I know it's not important but Oh, well, this art major over there is upset. <laughs> I just needed to say that. <laughs> um, and then during the off season, he portrayed Santa Claus at a mall. Um, I thought I wrote down the name of the mall, but apparently I didn't. But of course, because his records were expunged, they didn't know about his assault. Therefore, they hired him to work with children as Santa Claus. Yeah, someone that um, kids are supposed to like trust. Another thing to note is in MacArthur's apartment, so his son Todd was sent to live with MacArthur at one point when he got out of jail again, because I don't know, his mom didn't want him in the house, or I'm not sure exactly what happened there, Mm -hmm. and Todd said that MacArthur's bathroom was decorated with men. What does that mean? Like pictures? Yes, pictures. Real men or like celebrities or like... Like you, like people that he saw day to day or celebrity hey, men. Hey, hey, I know that they're real people. <laughs> I mean, like the pictures, were they of celebrities that he liked or were they of people who he like knew? I think both. Like when he means decorated, he means no, like I believe you. That's so weird. In his bathroom. That's so weird. So that's just another thing to note. And that's all I have. It's Becky's turn. So I am basically picking up from 2017, which is when all of his murders kind of finally were brought to the attention of the police, like the police were investigating them. So the disappearance of Andrew Kinsman was kind of what prompted this whole investigation into Bruce MacArthur. Uh, over the cases of eight missing gay men from Toronto's gay village. They were all, they all went missing from there. So Andrew Kinsman had a really strong presence in the gay village. He was very well known and known to be very dependable. Um, and again, he was just a prominent figure in the community. He disappeared, I believe, two days after their pride, after Toronto's pride, where he, you know, like had kind of a role because of how prominent he was in the community. MacArthur did? No, no, no. Kinsman. Andrew Kinsman, the victim. So he disappeared on June 26th, and because of his status in the community, it it was noticed very, very quickly. 
Um, and his friends went to his apartment to check if he was there, and they found his 17-year-old cat there, who he apparently doted on very, very dedicatedly, mm. was there alone with no food, water, or his any of his medications that he was on, because that's an old cat, 17. Yeah. And they were like, okay, he would never do this, so something's wrong. So at first, the police were not giving very much attention to the missing person's case, but as it gained attention from the media and the LGBTQ community was uh, doing a lot of lobbying for them to look into this more, they finally started to like actually investigate, which they weren't really doing, but that's another thing. So CCTV footage near Kinsman's home actually saw him getting into a red Dodge Caravan at 3 p.m. on the day that he was missing. And in his apartment, written on his calendar, at 3 p.m. was the word Bruce. Nothing else. So police obviously linked the calendar, not only uh, not only the calendar, but also the truck that was on the footage, to Bruce MacArthur. Um, he took a truck matching the description and you know what was depicted in the footage to a scrapyard. And luckily, when police got there, it hadn't been scrapped yet. It hadn't been touched yet. And forensics was able to test the truck, and they found a lot of traces of Kinsman's blood within the vehicle. That's so lucky. That yeah. Imagine if it had already been scrapped, they mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have been able to get like anything. No, they couldn't even have proved that it was um, MacArthur's truck, let alone the fact that Andrew Kinsman was in it. Yeah. So. They unfortunately couldn't make an arrest based off of that alone because they didn't have the body. It could have just been blood for the sake, like just for, you know. So they weren't able to make an arrest yet, but they made him, uh, they put him under surveillance and they were just watching what he was doing very intently. Uh, They also were able to copy some information off of his hard drive from his computer and what the information that they copied included 18 photos of Andrew Kinsman's dead body in the back of MacArthur's van, as well as, mm -hmm. oh yeah, there's a lot about pictures. See, that makes me think that the pictures in his bathroom then were more than just celebrity photos. Yeah. Because he's doing that. Oh, he loved his photos for sure. So they also were able to copy pictures of Salim Essen, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing wrong, and I apologize for that, but he was another man who went missing from Toronto's gay village two months before Andrew Kinsman went missing. In the photos, Essen was laying in MacArthur's bed dead. So that's where he kind of did his killing in his bed. That's disgusting. For so many reasons, yeah. So police did arrest MacArthur after that, but they still hadn't found any bodies so they obtained a search warrant for the properties where he worked as a landscaper and gardener because i i believe you mentioned that he was a landscaper at this point yes um so he worked for a few different people and they went to one house on mallory crescent which was owned by a couple around the same age as bruce MacArthur, and they found eight dismembered bodies stuffed into plant pots that I just... With plants growing out of them. I can't. So he, back to the photos, MacArthur took photos of his victims after killing them, kind of to have trophies. And in a lot of the pictures, he used 
props and made them pose. So some of the props that he used included cigars that he would put in their mouths for them to pose with them, fur coats and fur hats. Those were the most common things that he used. Um, But he would have them doing different poses, which is just, I can't even. Um, So he basically put pieces of the bodies into many different plant pots that were very large, but they obviously couldn't fit entire bodies in them. And when he was working at that house, he would sit right by all of those pots so he could eat with his victims. He would eat his lunch with them. There's just so many things wrong with that. So most of their bodies were in these pots at this one house, not multiple houses, just the one. And whatever he couldn't fit, he buried in a ravine that was across the street from the property. Um, I didn't include the names of the people who owned the house, but they still live there today. And they also kind of talked a lot about Bruce, saying that the Bruce who did this wasn't the Bruce that they knew, which it's like, well, obviously, otherwise he would have been caught a lot sooner. Yeah. Do you remember the case that I talked about? Um, yeah. The lady who... Dorothea Puente? Yeah, Dorothea mm. Puente. The people bought her house after all of those people were killed in there. Yeah, which it's at least they, the like, same. didn't buy it after. They already lived there. Yeah, it's con- but it's still, like, the same concept. I know. I just feel like after, for so many years, because his killing spree lasted seven years, so after living there for seven years with bodies in your backyard and you didn't even know, and, like, they would water those plants. I, like, couldn't imagine wanting to stay there, I but... Mean, I guess it's a little bit better than... Oh, it's definitely better I, than your case. The case that I talked about, yeah, because they weren't They killed. intentionally bought it Yeah, they in your case. They weren't killed there either, so I guess that kind of makes it a little... True, true. Um, I don't so know. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about his, like, MO. He would lure his victims in with the promise of, basically, that they were going to have sex. And then he would kill all of them in his bedroom by strangulation. All of their causes of death was ligature strangulation. And he also restrained all of them and sexually assaulted them before they were killed. They found a murder kit um, on his property, which was in a duffel bag. And in the kit, they, he had duct tape, surgical gloves, rope, zip ties, a bungee cord, and syringes. The murder weapon that he used was the rope that they found in that kit attached to a metal bar. And that's how he would strangle them. And this is also going back to the photos that I mentioned before. He had nine different folders on his computers, each labeled with a victim's name and contained a bunch of photos with the corresponding victim. You might notice that I said nine folders, but he had eight victims. He had one more, one extra folder that was labeled John. All the other ones had their last names as well, but this one just said John. So he almost had a ninth victim, and this was actually the day that he got arrested. Police were surveilling him, and they saw him bringing man up to his room, so they became concerned, and that's when they went in and arrested him, and they found the victim known as John, we don't know his last name, tied up in MacArthur's bed. Luckily, he survived. Obviously, police got him out of there and they arrested MacArthur. So, yeah, he almost had another victim, but because police were surveilling him, 
they were able to not only kind of catch him in the act, which I'm sure was very good for yeah, court. You can't really <laughs> deny that. There's yeah. no saying that he wasn't doing it then. Because he clearly was. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the aftermath. In 2019, which was two years after um, Andrew Kinsman's disappearance that kind of launched this whole investigation, MacArthur pled guilty to eight counts of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison with no parole for a minimum of 25 years. Which still is not good enough for me, but he is mm, older. Not for me either. He is older, so I'm hoping that he won't be getting out. No. Um, Especially since he did this when he was so old. Yeah. So what's stopping him from doing it again? Because he was already like, what, 60 something when he killed mm-hmm. all of those yeah. people? I'm going to go into his kind of the victims that he chose. He targeted gay men who were mainly immigrants from the Middle East or of Asian descent. The only one who was not hit. Basically, all the websites I read, he targeted gay men with brown skin the only one who he didn't was andrew kinsman he was his only white victim i forgot <laughs> that's such important detail that i forgot the pictures of the guys in his house all looked like that yeah so that was his type i guess yes i forgot to say that so it's believed that he targeted vulnerable men who were either homeless addicted to drugs or otherwise were just having a difficult time and he did that because he was able to exploit their vulnerability many of his victims were sex workers homeless and struggling with substance abuse and most of them had little to no family which was probably in his brain smart because if they had little to no family who was going to notice that they went missing Mm -hmm. but obviously when he killed andrew kinsman he had a large presence in the community so people did notice i want to say all of his victims just because obviously we wouldn't have time to go into each and every one of the murders and that would just be a little too much but i don't want to go through this without saying all of their names and that being said i'm going to pronounce some of them wrong and i'm so sorry so the first victim was skandaraj navaratnam who was 40 Abdul Bazir Faizi, who was 44, Majid Kayan, who was 58, Sarush Mamoudi, was 50, Kirushna Kanagaratnam, was 37, that was his youngest victim, Dean Lysowick, was 47, Salim Essen, was 44, who I mentioned before, and then Andrew Kinsman, who prompted the whole big investigation into this, he was 49. So he had, most of his victims were in their 40s. The youngest was 37 and the oldest was 58. Uh, there are a lot of criticisms into how police kind of handled this case because apparently an investigator, when Abdul Bazir Faiz went missing, who was his second victim, an investigator tied his disappearance to his first victim, Skandaraj. Um, so he t- she tied both of their disappearances together and like, knew that they were connected um, because they were both gay men of color who were last seen in Toronto's gay village. But she claims that her theory was dismissed by Toronto police, but Toronto police say that this was never true and that never happened. Who's to say which is true? Just own up to it. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. 
They also were very slow to link the first seven men's disappearances and are criticized that they didn't launch formal investigations into any of the disappearances until Andrew Kinsman, the white man, disappeared. So, so they were informed that other men they were, were all They were all um, reported. reported as missing persons. They were all missing persons, but they didn't have any formal investigations because many of them were sex workers, homeless, and addicted to substances. Okay, but that doesn't matter. And also... <laughs> gay and during this time that wasn't necessarily their concern big eye roll from me so yeah there's concerns about how police handled this from the sense that they were all people of color and that they were gay men during a time period where obviously that was frowned upon it is possible that many of them weren't linked together uh previously because many of them didn't have relationships with their families but obviously once kinsman was reported missing he was well known so that was someone that they actually could ask friends about and family Mm -hmm. about but overall one other thing is that i didn't really mention this but MacArthur was described as a master manipulator and a sociopath by a lot of people Mm -hmm. but that's kind of where the case ends there's still a lot of people unhappy with how police handled it which is fair because is he still alive Yes. Okay. That's He's what still I alive. Figured. So that's our killer Santa. Obviously, it didn't have too much to do with him actually being a mall Santa because it wasn't, you know, his targets weren't children. Thank you. Which is yeah. good. I mean, not that it's good that he had any targets, but it's just a weird coincidence that that was his job. Yeah. His job. And it's just kind of icky feeling like. If you're going to bring your kid to a mall Santa. Yeah, you want to trust them. But then that also, like, I never did, like, the mall Santa. I never did Santa at all as a kid. Oh. But, like, I don't know. I don't think I'd ever take my children to sit on a random guy's lap. Yeah, it's, in general, it's kind of a weird vibe when you think about it. Listen, when I was little, I was afraid of Santa. There was a time, I'm pretty sure I was, like, five or six, I was like, I don't want this random dude breaking into my house and leaving me presents. Like, hello, stranger danger. <laughs> um, so there was this one Christmas where I um, <laughs> had my dad stand outside on the front porch so he could meet Santa so he wouldn't actually have to come into the house. And it was snowing. And my poor father, he stood outside because he couldn't not because then I would have been like, well, why aren't you standing outside? So we had to wait till they knew I was asleep. <laughs> um, when I got older, I left gifts for Santa because I was like, how come he gives us gifts and Mrs. Claus? Because woman power. I gave her gifts, too. I was like, she puts what up with all this. What would you give them? Oh, like handmade. Oh, where would they go? My parents took them. <laughs> but we made them like ornaments and now the ornaments that we made them hang on our tree it's cute, though. <laughs> yeah it was silly yeah stay safe this holiday season whatever holiday you are or are not celebrating mm-hmm. um enjoy the snow if you like snow and if not then enjoy sitting inside and being cozy and watching movies and drinking hot chocolate yeah Thank oh you. i think that they're is a documentary by BBC yes, there is. about this case. Sorry, completely just like remember that. We'll p- 
post about it on Instagram. Yes, we will. Speaking of, follow us on Instagram at behind underscore the crime. She did it, guys. And on Facebook at just behind the crime. We do have a website that is published now that you can find by clicking the link in our bios on Instagram and Facebook. We should be having a YouTube channel soon. We might not have video to go along with our episodes yet, but we will have our episodes up yeah, there. Yeah, on YouTube, if that's how you would like to listen. So, new things are coming. Uh, we are pre-recording for winter break, so that episodes will come out every other week like they normally do. So, stay tuned for that, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.